With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. This is a year-in-preview edition. I'm Ed McGrogan here with Steve Tigner, no stranger to the weeks in preview, but this time we're going to go over the uh, entire men's season uh, in, in, a, in a way for 2015. We're going to take a crack at uh, who we think will end up in the top 10 this time next year um, as we approach the new season coming up very quickly on us. Um, Steve, this was a year where the top 10, uh, you know, as it, as it finished, there was some, I think there were certainly some, some players who obviously made some significant moves from years past, but, you know, on the whole, it's still very top heavy. Um, but after that, there was a lot more change than usual. And I, and I think we, you know, t- the takeaway from that is it, it should be a pretty interesting year to see what the next chapter is in the men's game. Yeah, we saw a little change, you know, sort of um, gradual. Some of the guys we've been watching, like Raonic and Dimitrov and Nishikori, they all um, they all made some moves. But not you don't get the feeling that they made their you know the big move. None of them, I don't think, is topped out. So, so like you said, yeah, this this should be another year of progression. I would think to to something different. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing is if if, if these players are really just kind of getting their footing on, on this terrain here, um, that's very interesting stuff. I mean, the the top ten as it ended, you know, ten is Ferrer, then Chilich, Raonic, Burdich, Murray, Nishikori, Stan, Rafa, Roger, and Djokovic um, at the top there. So and Dimitrov right outside the cusp at number eleven there. Um, so it, it's a, um, I think we should probably just get right into it in a sense with, with that said here, um, yeah, number 10, as I mentioned, that's where currently where David Ferrer is, uh, is, is, is hanging out here. I think so many people might expect, you know, the, really the inevitable downturn of such a, a, a such a strong player from a physical point of view it does seem like it's finally the, the toll is finally being paid by him, and um, I, I'm not sure I would I would predict that he hangs around in this list for another year. I mean, he surprised as many times before, but who do you have at number ten at the moment? Number ten, I have a surprise pick, Gael Monfi, moving from eighteen to ten. He that is a good uh, that is a bit of, a bit of a surprise there, but end of the year very nicely pick, but um. I do think he showed something in the second half of the year, not just in his, you know, we, we always knew he could play and, and he showed that, but I feel like he showed a little more confidence in himself in that, in that loss to Federer at the U.S. Open and then coming back to beat Federer, who was hurt, but 
I feel like that coming that close at the open in the quarters of the open, if he wins that match, there's a good chance he, you know, he gets to the, he can get to the final of the tournament. Um, that I feel like is a was a, a breakthrough for him, and I I just felt like it's possible that he could begin to take himself more seriously next year, and and if he does that, then you know, he really he can. He can do whatever he, he wants. He obviously has the physical elements to, yeah. to, to back that up. Yeah, yeah. I think as you've written before, I think it was a more of a philosophical Gael at the at the Open, despite the loss there. And you know, watching the Davis Cup final at the end, I mean, he he caught Federer on a day when Federer hadn't recuperated clearly all the way, but. This that match was really about Monfils as well, and I think that Switzerland probably would be dreading playing a fifth, playing a fifth, even with Vavrinka, you know, facing someone like Monfils in that situation. So I think the end of the year for Monfils was, as you say, a suggest a very big turning point. Yeah, it's more of a maybe it's more of a wishful um, pick, hoping that he does a little more. You know, he's, he's in his late twenties, but uh, I do think it's possible. It, yeah, it's. Uh, all the French players really, have, I think, taken their turns in a sense of, you know, kind of asserting themselves among the men here. And I think, you know, Monfils, he's had semifinals at slams before, but you know, perhaps this really is his, uh, you know, time here. Um, another player I didn't mention, Song at number 12, um, also turning 30. Uh, it's very... Uh, it's almost surprising to see some of these guys now in their very late 20s and 30s here. So um, we'll see where Mr. Monfils ends up when all is said and done here. Uh, number nine right now is Marin Cilic. Th- this bottom of this top ten is very fluid in terms of the points, too. Um, you know, going into next year, a lot of this is going to shift around pretty pretty dra- quickly because this this, if you remember... You know how tight the race was for the spots of the World Tour Finals. It's because the point totals were so close here. Um, so Chilich gets is at number nine. Obviously, thanks a lot to that U.S. Open title. Who do you have at number nine? Number nine coming into next year, I have Dimitrov. I think he has a you know. I don't know whether he ever has top five in him, but I think I think he has more than what he showed at the end of last year. Like he. He made another step forward. He cracked the top ten for the first time last year, but he he didn't really end the year all that well. He he um you know he showed a lot of flashes as he as he usually does, but I feel like there'll be another there's another step forward or two for him. He's still only going to be 24 this year, so uh, but I don't see him jumping further than than into the bottom of the top ten at the end of the year. You know, it's he's another guy you'd like to see do well, but. I'm just not sure if he has the kind of game that's just going to continue to rise up. I feel like a lot of these guys at the top are bigger hitters, and this is sort of as far as I can see him going at the moment. You know, we'll see. He's also going to, um, I think, be dealing this year in particular with a lot of added pressure and expectation from um, a lot of us, a lot of you know fellow players. I think, I think the, I think the the word is clearly out on on what Dimitrov is capable of and what he did last year. So I think that's also something that we'll have to see how he, you know, how he handles that. He's going to be seated pretty high at a slam and, and that's, you know, that's sort of a double edged thing there is, is, you know, the, the really the spotlight is going to be on him, um, you know, for many reasons, but, you know, first and foremost, it's going to be because, you know, he's, he's pretty much, he's almost in the top 10 now. And, um, 
and obviously I think we think he's capable of you know perhaps much more there too. I also wonder about his relationship with Roger Rashid. It's a, it's been a good one, and Rashid has been a good coach for a for a lot of guys. Hewitt, Malfis, uh, and Sanga, Dimitrov. They've all benefited with him. He's very intense, physical. You know, more of a tr- almost more of a trainer than a tennis coach. But I also feel like he can burn out with guys. You know, he can. There's a. I feel like there's a limit to the amount of time that guys can go with him. And I wonder whether Dimitrov. They've been at. You know, they've been together for a year. I'd wonder how much longer. You know, their their relationship will be productive. So that's something else to think about. It's like the John Tortorella of tennis coaches, I think is how you put that there. You know, that's actually a good point you make about coaches in general is that I think, you know, going even even to the top top levels of the game and in the past, I mean, tennis players just don't stick around with a coach for, certain, you know, for an entire career for – and and it's usually multiple coaches helping players along the way um, – is there something that just you know, as you've followed the sport for so long, that that coaching player dynamic, it's it does seem very unique to tennis, especially when you compare it to you know, other sports, perhaps. And I know this is an individual sport, of course, compared to team games, but it, in this time of year too, we're seeing so many coaching shifts yet again here. I think it's a lot. You know, the relationship entails a lot. It's a lot more than a team sport where. You know, if you if you play basketball or soccer, you'll see your coach, uh, you know, at the stadium, and that's probably it. But in tennis, you're traveling with your coach, you're doing dinner with your coach. You know, you're, you know, pretty much everything is scheduled by your coach. And I think that that has its limit as to, you know, a probably people get sick of each other, and b how you know the sort of how much somebody can help somebody i think maybe there's a you know there's a time limit on that where you get as much as you can out of a certain guy or a certain woman and then you have to you know you, get, you need a new voice so i think it, it it can happen pretty fast with tennis tennis it's a very intense relationship i mean if the, those guys the players are with their coach more than more than anybody else so you know i think it's it's rare where that can really work out for you know, for a long time. Yeah, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be interesting to see, especially with so many high-profile former champion coaches, on, especially on the men's side here, where that goes. You know, the, basically the year after, and you know, even with Von Lundell and Annie Murray, who obviously did so so well together, even that didn't uh, you know is already over with. It seems like it just started too. So that's a it's a good old I think sub theme for uh, yeah. The- and I, that's one question I have about the super coaches. How long do they want to do this? Be full time? You know, Lendl obviously had his. You know, wasn't really prepared. Isn't doesn't need to be on the tour all the time. Will Edberg and Becker? How do they want to? How long are they going to stick around when they they really don't need the money? When it's sort of just something they did because they were asked to. So we'll, you know, we'll see how permanent those things are. Right. Yeah. Um... So let's move on to number eight, and this is currently occupied <clears throat> excuse me, by Milos Raonic. Uh, nice little surge from him this past year. I mean, actually, he's, he's been very, I think, steadily, con- I think deceptively consistent for a little while. It ends up at number eight. Um, who do you have at number eight going uh, in 2015? This 2015, I have Burdich, Thomas Burdich, hanging around. He's um, maybe coming down a little bit. I, you know, I felt like in the middle of last year he had a slump, 
and I, you know, he's in his late twenties, like a lot of other guys. And I wondered whether that was the beginning of sort of his demise, but he came out of it. All right. He's also has a new coach. He tried to get Lendl, tried to get his super coach, but he ended up with Lendl's old assistant and Murray's, um, old coach, Danny Valverdu. Um, so that I think is a positive for, for Burdich that I think will help him this year or maybe just this year alone. I feel like he'll get a boost from a new, you know, from a new voice, from a new coach. Uh, he's a guy who hasn't really changed or done a lot in that, you know, in that part of his game, hasn't gotten a lot of different voices. So I think that's a help. And I think that will keep him around in the top 10, but I don't see him, you know, I don't see him getting being ranked higher than he was last year it's funny we're going to go into coaches a little bit again here but I, I think both of these two really have a lot to prove actually and really are gonna I, I think this opportunity for Valverdu as you mentioned I, I I never totally got the sense of where he yeah he was very spoken very very highly of it with Murray I think, I think he was often cited as a hitting partner but he was really clearly a coach as well and you know worked with uh, Lendl during his time those two have known each other for forever and it's a pretty big gig for him I think getting a player like Burdich who as we know still hasn't you know won a slam I don't know how you can say that he doesn't have the game to win the slam, but it's really more, I think, between the years with him a lot of the time. It's watching him. It, it almost never, it almost never ceases to amaze me how how hard he can hit the ball with what looks like such a pretty um, compact swing, and the guy does things that. Even even though we've seen it a, a million times, and even though he still gets beat by the top top guys a lot of times, he he really in his own way is is quite a pleasure to watch when he's on. Yeah, yeah, he really is pretty extremely smooth, and I think you're right that that these guys have something. You know, I think Burdich has this is really maybe his last run to, right. you know, to show people, and I think you know Valverdu as well. Like he is a guy who's always been in in the shadow of another coach. He's really you, you would almost make him the equivalent of like Severin Luti with Feder or Marion Vida with Djokovic. He's a guy who really was the sort of core coach of Murray. Uh, Lendo was more, you know, he he played a sort of supervisor role, I think. But but we'll see what he can do on his own. And I think I think it's a we'll see. But I it, I could see it being a good match and them getting you know having a productive early part of the year. All right. Well, we're on to number seven. This is uh, this is Burdich's spot. We just obviously just went through him. Uh, we have a couple players I've noticed that have uh, come up from outside the top ten already that have made their way into your 2015 top ten. There will be some names uh, stepping out of the current top ten. So let's see uh, your number seven year-end player on the men's tour for 2015. Seven, I have <clears throat> Raonic, who you just mentioned, who finished eighth last year. I, th- I see him making some, you know, a little more progress. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, but I also see limits to him. I think there's, he had, a, he had a much, he had a very steady season. He won tournaments. He made quarterfinals at Grand Slams. Uh, he made the final eight. You know, he showed he can beat pretty much anyone. He beat Federer. Um, but he also just seems to me, I'm not sure whether, as with Dimitrov, I just don't know about him, how far he's going to move up, you know, ever. I think he's, his serve keeps him at a certain place, then the rest of the game also 
keeps him from from going further. Um, so we'll see. I see. You know, I see him. I just see a little more improvement for him. He's also going to be 24. This is entering his prime. You know, he could come out and win Wimbledon or win a Grand Slam, the U.S. Open. That's not out of the question. No, nothing's really out of the question with him with that serve. But over the course of the year, I see him, you know, just being a little better than last year. Yeah, like I said, I think deceptively consistent is the way I would describe him. Um, it's funny that you mentioned with Dimitrov in that, you know, you were wondering, you know, whether Dimitrov's lack of that game-changing weapon can get him above where you have him slotted. And, you know, with Raonic, obviously there is that clear game-changing weapon. Um, and, you know, Overall, I think the more I think the more I've watched Raonic, um, you know, I, I don't think it's it's the greatest. I don't think it's the most enjoyable tennis to watch sometimes. But I do have to give him a lot of credit along the ground. It's just, um, you know, he's he's not going to be. You can't say that when he gets engaged into a rally, even with a fantastic rally, or that it's automatic point over for him, and he has to win the point after the first. Um, two or three balls. I mean, the guy, the big guys, the guys that have relied on their serves, obviously, that have made their way to this point of, or to this echelon of the game, they, they've really proven, you know, why they're there, and that's that they they can demonstrate more than the serve. But, you know, w- once you get to this top five here, I mean, the, the differences between the getting to that point and getting, you know, to where we, we're talking about now, you know, they're very there are very big differences in in uh, in what players have to do, and and you have to make some some judgment calls somewhere. I think that's you know what we're seeing with Raonic here. Right. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on up to number. I believe number six. Are we at number six? Yeah. Yeah. This is uh, Mr. Murray. Now we'll see where he ends up on this list, if if at all. I suppose. I suppose there's a chance, but. We'll see where Murray goes. I think his 2015 will be one that's closely followed for a lot of reasons. Who do you have at number six? I actually have Murray staying there. I feel like a couple guys passed him or showed that they can pass him last year. Vavrinka and Nishikori in particular. And even Federer, I think, um, sort of reasserted himself above Murray for the moment. Murray had a good end to the year. Federer, of course, beat him badly at the last tournament. But I feel like Murray, I just don't know whether we're going to see him get back to where he was. Do you think he, you think he's sort of peaked already? I feel like maybe he has with the Wimbledon win. He got you know, up to number two. The back, he had the back surgery. It's taken him a while to get back from that. I think he is back from it, but I don't feel like he's, he's um, going to be challenged for number one the, maybe, the way maybe we would have thought after – 2013 I sort of see him below a few guys that have that have come up uh, not really any you know not really I don't think it's really a slight on his game yeah after you're trying to say yeah not as much as Murray getting worse but I think there's some limits to his game as far as the power goes and some of the guys are you know maybe Vavrinka and Nishikori are bigger shot makers um, and I think Federer has another at least another year where he's going to be I feel like he's going to be as good or better than Murray. I sort of see him staying where he is, having good matches, some frustrations. I don't know whether the Moresmo coaching thing, I think that's fine. Um, it'll, be a, it'll be interesting to see how he does without, his, without two of his other members of his team that left, including Valverdu. Um, but I don't see that changing 
making things a lot better or a lot worse for, for him. I get yeah, I guess, you know, Murray I always I think you can draw a lot of comparisons to him. <clears throat> Excuse me, and, and Djokovic in, in a couple ways. You know, they have the age; they're both the same. They're both obviously these baseline greats, but you know, you can clearly, and I think both. It should also be said, really, just they're very emotional players, and that's a big part of their game, and that's a big reason why I think they are the way they are. But you, but at the same time, you know, you can clearly see the difference between. Why Novak Djokovic has won seven Grand Slam titles, and why he is a clear world number one right now, and why Murray is where he is as well, and and I think really the struggle that it's taken him to have won that first Grand Slam title after so many final round shortcomings, and obviously why Wimbledon was such a big deal for him. Um, you know, for 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 Murray, I think that's I think that's an interesting way to to see where he is. Um, and and I think as you mentioned about Stan and and Nishikori like that, I think that I still think that there is I think I still think there's potential for Murray at least from my end to kind of make it back into that top four. I I think I think a lot of people are really sort of wondering if if they want to keep Murray in that obviously that self-proclaimed big four group there. You know, Stan and Nishikori. <clears throat> Excuse me, they still really do have to kind of prove on a year-to-year basis that they can keep up with this. And, and to Murray's credit, this is the one thing that I think I will always kind of have to remind myself of him is that he has been doing this and winning big titles and big tournaments since about 2008. And um, and it's something that we probably just you know should always kind of keep in the back of our mind when regards to Murray, but. You know, injuries aren't helping him either, and he has you know showed a little susceptibility to that as well. Yeah, he's you know he's in the second half of his career, but I thought last year and over since his Wimbledon win, he's sort of gone from challenging for the biggest tournaments, and then this year he ended up winning a few small tournaments at the end. It just seemed like, in general, there was just a slightly slightly lowered expectations for him from the very top to you know to a to where he was having success uh, you know as the best of the second tier so you know we'll see if that continues but i felt like that was the trend of the last year and a half for him yeah and that loss to Federer was still it's still hard to believe that happened i, I mean that would never you almost think that would never happen to Murray a couple of year, <clears throat> a couple of years ago right, so right. we'll see there um, number 5 we uh, this is currently where Kanish Corey resides um, your thoughts on number 5 in 2015 Number five, I have um, Stan Wawrinka at five. Um, pretty much the same. I think he, I think he ended the year well, um, which I think is good. In, you know, with his win in Davis Cup, and he had a good World Tour final, and he had a good World Tour final the year before, and he came out and won the Australian Open. I also think I don't see Stan moving up further. Than where he is, because I feel like last year he showed what he can do, and that he'll, and that he will beat top players and win big tournaments, but also that he's not really a different player than he was. You know, he didn't suddenly become Novak Djokovic. He didn't yeah. suddenly become a guy who's going to be consistently, you know, challenging for these top tournaments. He was a guy who barely, he hadn't won many titles at all over the course of his career, no big titles, and that's sort of the way he went the rest of the year. He was pretty. You know, pretty erratic, pretty up and down. Some amazing wins, 
and then some amazing losses. Uh, yeah, I think maybe I think maybe you say that Stan, you know, <clears throat> hit his peak last year, but that peak is so high that it's capable of beating anybody on this list. I mean, it's capable of being Djokovic. He did that before at the Australian Open, among other among other players. He beat Federer for his Monte Carlo Masters title. He's, um, you know, his, the top of his game when it's white hot is just, has been has proven to be just, you know, a, quite a, a feat of tennis. And right. I think that's what we can perhaps see. You know, it'll be interesting to see what he does in Australia too with uh, that title defense coming up. I think that's going to be a, a you know a pretty big. I think internal target for him to really kind of, you know, love to back that up. Of course, had a great end of the year. So I think Australia is pretty telling for him yeah. among other players. That's a big one. If he goes out early there, you know, his ranking, his ranking plummets. That, that's you know, that's that's true. That's a big, um, that's a big term. That'll really set. I think will we'll set a tone for him for the year. And and he, you know, his ranking could really change there, and that in a bad way. And that you know, that wouldn't you know, that wouldn't be obviously be a good way to start the year. Yes, yeah. Uh, so number four, I'm curious to see who you have here because I think it, it'll tell a lot about the rest of the list here. This is where Stan is right now. Um, so you're number four for 2015. Four, I have Federer. Um, okay. I think the big thing, I think the <clears throat> thing that strikes me about with Federer is that the difference, the thing that will be telling is if how good and how healthy Rafa is. If Rafa is back and Federer has to play him a lot, then I don't think he's going to have the year he, like he just had. He did dodge him a lot last Not year. Quite just, that year. Yeah, right. I just don't think that's just a bad matchup, and and I think will continue to be a bad matchup. So I think a lot of, a lot depends to me on how how Nadal how often he has to face Nadal. Um, other than that, he can beat anybody. He can he can do anything. I do think it was he. He ha- I think it will be difficult for him to repeat next year, pre- repeat this past year, the consistency of it. He, you know, he won a lot of tournaments. Won the most matches on tour. Won the most matches on tour. I, mean, I don't know if that, at, when he, in a year when he's going to turn 34, is realistic. I think to, have a, to keep his ranking where it was or where it is, he's going to have to win one of the majors, which, is, which he couldn't do, which he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been able to do the last two years. And despite having a really good year, he he couldn't quite win that big match this year. You know, it was close, but yeah, quite yeah. Good. So that will ha- that will have to change. I just don't see him being. I think it's going to be tough to continue. This was almost like a bounce back year. Everything was great again. Every- he was excited again. It- you know, how much? How can he keep that up physically and, and mentally? Yeah, I mean, for Roger, I-, I what I called this year for Roger is actually one of his one of the best years he had but you have to put it in the context you know obviously away from the peak years of 05 to 08 or um 07 and but you know all things considered especially where he was coming off from 2013 this was you know a fantastic year for him you know looking ahead to to next year for Roger in the magazine we actually did some things about player of the year breakthrough disappointments um, I actually said that Roger would be my biggest disappointment, but I think that's another thing that needs to be viewed in context of. I think the expectations now that people see for Federer is that you know he was you know he was a really as you actually mentioned in your uh, number one match he was a set away at Wimbledon from finishing the year number one, and uh, and I think that if Federer ends up around this four to six range, which you know for a player of 
his age, I think you, know, you, you can't say that anything else that's still a fantastic year. I, I just think that I think people are going to be a little clouded from from what they saw this year. I, I just it, it is tough to see him winning all those matches and doing that again. Uh, the one thing that'll be interesting to see with him and Stan is whether they decide to play Davis Cup again and how that impacts their schedules. Yeah, I sort of doubt that that um, Federer will. Uh, you know, I think it would be smart of him not to, for the same reason. I guess it was it helped him in the past not to play, kept him you know healthier. So you know, it, you know, we'll see. It's hard to tie. I have I can't say that I've written Federer off, but I didn't think at this point he would still be almost almost be number one in the world at this at this stage so um so you know so we'll see if he can how long he can stay at that level yeah i mean this is this is just another chapter in in what we're going to be looking back on it's just an all-time career it's it's really impressive stuff here uh number three so this is where rafa is right now um if you're looking at points a distant third from um, Novak and Roger at one two, still up quite a bit on the rest of the pack. Rafa, you know, obviously, whenever we get to him, uh, health will be a huge talking point for him. There's so many tournaments he has missed and could miss, and has opportunities to gain because he didn't play in the previous year and get more ranking points. With all that said, who knows where Rafa falls on this list? Who's your number three? Number three, I had Nishikori. Um, I think he, re- you know, he really separated himself from the young guys last year. You know, he still has a size disadvantage with some of these top guys, but he's really, as Federer and Nadal said when they saw him when he was a teenager, he's, the, he's probably he may be the best ball striker of anybody. Um, and I, you know, I he's shown that he can challenge any of those guys. I don't know if he has the sort of confidence. He did make a Grand Slam final. Like intensity almost in a way? Joker, but he almost doesn't have the cockiness or the sense of entitlement. I wonder about that to become a, to become a number one player. I don't know if that's his mindset. He's, he, and he really did get nervous and play poorly and, and was pretty obviously pretty tired in the, in the U.S. Open final. We'll see if that experience helps him if he gets back to those levels. But I just think his, his ability, his ball striking and his, the way he finished the year – Pretty a pretty good finish at the World Tour Finals, making the semis there. I do feel like he's elevated himself. It it could, that, it could have been one year, a one and done thing, but um, but you know, I just have to like his game and the way he the way he played the top guys all year. Yeah, and and you know, Nishikori has been you know, I know that this year was was the most of all, but he has over the past few years gotten. Some big wins against you know very very big players sporadically, and and I think we saw even despite you know he still suffered a couple injuries this year, kind of really some some poor times. Uh, you know he had to withdraw from Miami semis, he had to retire against Rafa in Madrid. But overall, this was you know I think the Nishikori that some who have been following him for a long time <clears throat> were expecting to see here. Um, yeah, as for and. I just read a thing from Michael Chang. I think his coach. He was very bullish. I think on on K heading into next year too. You know, with a year under their belts together, you know, he said something to the effect of Nishikori has the opportunity to win at any Grand Slam uh, because of his all surface ability, because really of his game in general. And you know, that's another uh, partnership that that I think is bore early fruit here. But um, 
I think, you know, a little bit like Dimitri, you know, Dimitrov obviously many steps down from Nishikori at the moment, but, you know, 20, you know, 2014 in general, you know, such a, a breakthrough year for Nishikori. And, uh, you know, I think a little bit like Simona Halep on the women's side, you know, him finishing in the top five. And I think some people think, you know, like yourself, that they can go much higher. Yeah, I think Nishikori this year was the first year where you really saw, and, you know, and it was definitely because of Chang, this sort of toughness or this, he instilled a certain, I don't want to say swagger, but a certain certain sense that for Kay that he belongs there at the top. And that's my only, that's my question with him. The the ability is there, but what's the, how does he see himself? I guess that's, that's my question. The, the top guys always seem to feel like they, ha- they inside, they, they deserve to be number one. They have to be there or there's a disappointment. Does Kay feel that, that way about himself? Yeah. Now, number one and two here, I'm very curious to see who you take here. And, you know, I'm thinking about it for a couple things. First of all, you could, you could, it's either going to be Isner or Djokovic. I understand. No, I'm just kidding. Right. But, um, you know, I'm wondering who you pick here because the way that the, and you've described this many times, the way that the Rafa Noel rivalry is gone, it's that. Whenever we've seen one prolonged stretch of greatness from each man, the other guy seems to find a way to top it. And you can't really, you, ne- you never really see when it's coming, but it's always there. And I don't know whether you have Rafa one or Novak one, but, you know, I'm thinking back to Rafa when he, you know, one year ago at this time at the Australian Open, you know, Rafa just looked just unbelievable, outstanding, hard, you know, hard courts never been his surface. He's had the mileage on himself. And he went out, and until he ran into, of course, another um, unfortunate injury there, uh, yeah, this was clearly the top player in the game. And he was coming off, of, you know, of, of course, a, a, one of his best years of his career in 2013. Uh, so with all that said, I'm going to give the floor to you here. Who is your number two uh, year-end player? Number two, I have Djokovic. Okay. First, I would say that part of that pick is that picking Djokovic to finish number one again is is somewhat a pick against boredom, against just a boring pick that you that everyone thinks you're going to pick. Djokovic is he is the percentage guy. He's been the three. He's been number one three of the last four years. Uh, there's nothing to say that he's coming down at all. Uh, I guess I would say I, you know I I guess I would say that he still has had his bad moments in at the in the big matches he won Wimbledon but it was close I don't know if the Becker um partnership has been everything he thought it would be I, you know it, it hasn't changed his game he had a he was the best player last year he had a he had a great season overall on all surfaces as he always does the only reason I pick him to finish number two is because of who I picked at number one which is Nadal for the reason that you mentioned I feel like Rafa is a guy who finishes number one and has an amazing year every two or three years. He finished number one in 2013. He was injured last year. I feel like this is his last, this may be his last mm-hmm. run, year-long run. I think he's, he's not old enough and he's too <clears throat> good not to have another run in him in his career. We've seen it from Federer, obviously. I don't think you can say he's just going to fade away from injury because he's always come back from it. And it would make sense to me. Maybe not at the Australian Open. That may be too soon for him. 
but as over the course of the year, starting with Clay, of course, that he would have another, you know, he would be, you know, he would be motivated enough and get on another roll that he could finish another year number one. It's a, it's a risky pick because he even, because he always finishes the year poorly, and I wouldn't expect him to suddenly dominate all through the year. But I do think he has another. I just think he's too good to not to have another number one run in him. And now that he's taken some time off, presumably the in, all the last year's injuries or problems are over. I think that leaves him clear. To, you know, he likes. I think he likes the chase coming from behind, not having the points, getting on a roll. He does. He's never real. He's never defended a number one ranking the way Djokovic has. And Federer has, you know, Rafa's the guy who, he, he, you know, he's the guy who, who you know, like you said, he's the guy who chases the other guys down. And I think he's, he has that opportunity again. So in a way, it's, a, it's, a, it's, just, it's a pick for interest's sake and also because I do think... I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I, I, think it's, I mean, I think it's, it's well-reasoned. Uh, as you say about the chase, too, uh, you know, it should be said he's only he's still only three away from Federer from the Grand Slam title. Con. He goes out of his way to say that that is not a goal, but that's you know that has to of course enter in at some point there. Yeah. The the uh, I, I think the schedule really has always kind of you know not necessarily the after the U.S. Open, but the way that the the tour is laid out and the clay schedule I think always works in Rafa's favor to some degree. He can really build a lot of momentum, even starting you know in Indian Wells in Miami. He's done exceptionally well at those events too, um, leading into the obviously the bread and butter of the season. Um, in 2015, there's actually going to be another week in between the French and Wimbledon. I think that is a that's clearly that's a big big help to Rafa over anybody on this list. Um, and you know there, like I said, I think for a lot of those reasons, there's a lot to be you know bullish on for Rafa. And if we may delve back into into coaching one last time, this is becoming a big theme of this. But we're talking about players who have different coaches, have brought in new coaches throughout their careers. You know, Rafa is the exception to that rule. He has had one ear in his corner the whole time. It is. Tony Nadal, who you wrote earlier this year, you know, put the question forth: Is Tony Nadal the greatest coach of all time? And I think, you know, for all we can say about Rafa and you know what we think of, of where he's going from here, that is a constant that you never really have to worry about. Is he is going to, you know, the expectations are set extremely high in his camp and. You never. I don't think you ever have to worry about him not giving every inch that he can when he plays. When he doesn't play, you know he can't play. But when he plays, I think you can expect. You know, from from the start, you, you don't have to temper your expectations with him. Yeah, I think you know. You mentioned that that Nadal likes to say that he he doesn't really have Federer's record in mind, but but you know Tony Nadal does. <laughs> yes. He. he Brought up last at last year's Australian Open, he brought up the fact that nobody had ever won in the Open era all the Grand Slams twice, um, except for Rod Laver, and that this if Rafa won the Australian Open, he would become the next person to do that. So Tony Nadal obviously has these things in mind, and he likes to prod Rafa with them, um, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, and you know, Nadal he's not 30 years old. Federer's 33. Look where he is. Uh, Rafa's had all kinds of problems, but 
but um, he, then he's always bounced back from them. So, so um, you know, we'll see. I think I think it will be good to have him in the mix. Um, you know, hopefully for an entire season. I'll end this a little on Djokovic because you know he is the number one, and we talk to think a little more about Rafa than him here. But I think that you know 2015 for for Djokovic in particular. You know, I think overall there is you know perhaps more uncertainty than, than at least we've seen in recent years with with this AT, with this top men's group. That I think Djokovic has a really really big opportunity in front of him. This is sort of to me perhaps like a legacy year where if he really does does get on a roll and and is in that 2011 type of playing mentality and mindset and, and he's not that far removed from it he's he's you you would I would certainly say that Djokovic is still in his prime no doubt about that I think is I think we're seeing you know this four or five year stretch of him you know able to do great things in this game and I I think you know really the sky is the limit for him this year and you know, there's the French, of course, that he's going to be targeting once again. I, I think he'll pro- perhaps play that down a little bit more as compared to previous years where he was, you know, really focusing on it tunnel vision wise. But, you know, this guy, he has the game where, you know, you know nothing is off the table for him. And I and I, I think most curious of all of 2015 is, is how well Novak Djokovic does and, and really where he puts himself on the pecking order of the all-time greats because he he's passed some incredible players with his um, accomplishments thus far and he's not that far away from some others. Yeah, I don't I, it's hard to know what to think of him going into this next year. Last year he came off a 24 match winning streak and you would have thought he's going to roll through the Australian Open. He'd won it the 3 years before, but then he loses in the quarters for the first time at a slam in in more than 10 grand slams. So He's, you know, for the last year he's sort of confounded expectations, or at least my expectations. He played a bad French Open final, then bounced back and won Wimbledon, and then had a very strange U.S. hard court season where he was seemed pretty much out of it through through the whole thing, uh, which was to me was unexpected. And then he had a good end of the year World Tour final. He he won it, um, but so it sort of leaves me thinking that he's. I think the only thing you can think is he's going to put himself in contention all the time on every surface, and you know we'll see which ones go his way and which ones don't. I don't, I don't think they're all. You know, evidence would say that they're not all going to go his way, but he'll be there. I, I'll actually, and now that I look at one more thing. Let's uh, last thing before we go. You know, the most recent Grand Slam champion, Marin Cilic. Where do you see him going in 2015? Because I think you know. I think he will divide some opinion as well about if that was really one of those lightning in a bottle moments and really the the body of work from him taken from his whole career suggests that this is not a guy who we can expect to see at the quarterfinals or better of slams, you know, as a given and a, a top five type player, you know, you know, where do you see Chilich going from here, um, you know, after such an obviously outstanding U.S. Open? Yeah, I thought about Chilich in the top 10 and it's definitely possible I didn't like the way he ended the year. Um, he seemed to go back, not just because you know he didn't win anything at the World Tour final against the top players, and, and that wasn't good in a sense. These, that's his new peer group. Those are, that's his new competition that you're going to want him see what he does against, how he does against, and he didn't do very well. But I also felt like he went, he didn't show any of the 
of the sort of Superman, the power that he had suddenly had at the U.S. Open. He was back to sort of the way he usually plays, which would indicate to me that it's a little like Vavrinka. He was Chilich is a similar situation. He's a guy who had, hadn't won many tournaments before last year's U.S. Open. Had never won a big tournament. Never even won. Never won a Masters. Never even won a 500. Sort of like Vavrinka. Suddenly, then he wins a Grand Slam. Um, I see Chilich. And it sort of seems to me that he'll go back to where he was better with the knowledge that he can beat anybody, but that I don't know if I see him quite making the top ten, maybe being just outside because that you know his game is never – other than that two weeks or even one week, mm-hmm. I really haven't seen that his game ever be like that before or after it really was you know that's a good point the one week it really was just a a switch was flipped and it was over from that point yeah um good this is fantastic here so we'll uh, have to check on uh we'll we'll, a year from now we will of course (laughs) check our work here see what happened yeah we'll forget all about it yeah this podcast will be in the ether somewhere (laughs) but for now uh it was a good time to make our list and check it twice of course so um we have, of course, if, if I didn't mention the women's podcast with myself and Nina Pantic, uh, that's up as well on the site on iTunes. Check that out. And we'll be doing uh, you know, quite a few more podcasts here as the uh, – obviously as January approaches, we'll be uh, – the season's pretty much here already if you can believe it or not. So um, thank you to Steve for Steve for coming on and uh, giving us your thoughts. This is the Tennis.com podcast. I'm Edward Brogan for Steve Tegner. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.